We'll see if you survive the next session first. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Chaotic Creations, a podcast where we take weird prompts and make weird Dungeons & Dragons characters. I'm Harper, your lawful nerdy paladin. And I'm Darby, your chaotic tired bard. And welcome to our 16th episode. And Darby, this is our last episode of 2020. Thank God. <laughs> it's over. Wish this nightmare year goodbye. And, you know, Darby, because it's a new year coming up, we should thank our new patrons. Yeah! So, a big thank you to Javier Lofredo, to MM Overlord, to Alicia F., and to Butts. Mm-hmm. Butts! You four are helping make this podcast possible by helping support Darby and I as we go on this magical, weird journey. If you, too, would like to be a patron and get the amazing benefits that we have, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash chaoticpod. Speaking of it being the end of the year, by the way, Darby, you are going to be on an end-of-year live stream tomorrow. Yes, I am. It's a charity stream hosted by Nikki Beholder to No One on her Twitch channel, and all the benefits are going to the Bodana Group, a nonprofit that advocates for the use of tabletop gaming as directed therapeutic and clinical practice that can benefit personal growth. There's going to be over $300 worth in giveaways from groups like D&D Beyond, Joel Salda, Four Corner Games, and more awesome people. So be sure to tune in and donate. So if you would like a safe, fun, stay-in opportunity on New Year's Eve. You can tune in to watch Darby play some lewd grannies at 7.15pm Pacific Standard Time or 10.15pm Eastern Standard Time. And that's not all for the new year. Harper, do you want to tell the people what is coming new for you in the next year? Yes, Alicia, friend and patron of the podcast and I are starting a new podcast project where we are going to read through all of the book's set in the Tortal universe by Tamora Pierce called Tortal, y'all. We're starting first week of January, January 5th, with our first episode from the first chapter of Alana, the first adventure. So if you'd like to listen, you can find that on any of your podcasting platforms, and you can find us on Twitter at Tortal underscore y'all if you'd like to hear more of my voice and you like talking about fantasy novels. So excited. We love Alicia. I've never read these books, but Harper talks about them a lot. So looking forward to tuning into this podcast and learning about this series. And Darby, next week for the new year, there's something new coming for this podcast. Yes, there is. Starting in the new year, you can listen to us on the Critical Misses channel. You can find our voices on the Critical Misses channel on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as you can listen with other listeners of the podcast and chat live on Twitch about the episode as it airs. You can find that at twitch.tv slash critical misses. You can also see Harper and I on Sundays in System Crash, a new rebranded version of System Shock on the Critical Misses channel where we will be trying out different TTRPG systems and just going head first. And then on Mondays, you can catch reruns of our episodes. But before we start all those fun things in the new year, Darby, let's ring out this old year in style. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different. Instead of creating a character, we're going to talk about characters we've already created. Our guest this week is going to be none other than Tristan, who is one of my best friends and also is the dungeon master of a home game of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition that Darby and I are both players in. Instead of making side comments about our characters, who we never refer to on our podcast, <laughs> you get to hear about how we created these characters, the ideas that we've been generating around our characters, all sorts of good stuff with our DM. 
And if you happen to be a DM who's looking for inspiration on how to incorporate characters with really rich backstories into your campaign, our DM, in my opinion, a bit of an expert. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. So, joining us this week for a special edition episode of Chaotic Creations, we have the dungeon master for the home game that Darby and I play in, Tristan. Tristan, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good. A little tired, but I don't think that's new for anyone this year. <laughs> Thank goodness the year is over. The year is over, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Just putting yourself in that mental state for a moment. It's nice, isn't it? No. We'll see how nice it is come early November. Yeah. That's true. Okay, fair enough. Recording from the past to the future. Ah, who's president? <laughs> we wanted to have you on the podcast because we want to talk to you about the character creation process as it pertains to the home game that you, DM, and Darby and I actually are players in. But first, we want to start off with the couple of questions that we ask all of our guests. Okay, shoot. So the first of them is, when did you first get into Dungeons & Dragons? Oh boy, must have been mid-high school, I think. I'd heard about it before then, but it never really like crossed my path in any meaningful way. But early high school, I went over to a friend's house to actually play Minecraft throwback of all throwbacks and i think i ended up overstaying and they said they were playing dungeons and dragons afterward and i was free to join in or just watch for a little while and i sat around and watched and was really taken with it and then the next time they played i just came over and started playing with them i think the first edition i actually ever played was technically not even DD, it was pathfinder yes same well i didn't play but the first character i ever rolled was a pathfinder character i really really wanted to play a ranger and for some reason i think the edition we were playing didn't have like a solid ranger that I liked, so I ended up going into Pathfinder instead. And then mm -hmm. we just shifted everything over to Pathfinder. Shocking that Dungeons and Dragons might not have a good ranger class. <laughs> Completely surprising. Who knew? Would you say that your desire to play a ranger stems from your deep love of Lord of the Rings? That might have been part of it. It was, you know, just a giant nerd boner for Legolas and Aragorn. Probably the root of that, my guess. That and just, I like nature way too much. That is true, yes. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that led eventually me to just going over and now I play a druid pretty much every time I play. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it's been a while since high school for all of us. Mm -hmm. So what is it that keeps you coming back to tabletop? Because, I mean, you play video games, you love all different kinds of gaming, but what is it about tabletop that's special to you? I guess that's two very different questions, depending on if you're asking about being a player or a dungeon master. In terms of being a player, it's just the freedom of it. I mean, I love video games, I love escapes from reality in general, but, I mean, Dungeons & Dragons is different from, well, tabletops in general are different from any kind of you know computerized game you're ever going to be able to play just because there's so much more freedom in it you know i want to go check behind that door you're not going to have something that tells you you can't you just break the door down and then end up getting trouble with the city guard but doesn't mean you can't <laughs> break the door down so i mean as a player that's that's kind of what brings me back but as a dungeon master i don't know it's just a way to get in touch with friends and keep in touch with them more consistently and then also just you know it's a fun thing to do together and i've been a world builder forever so just being able to see something that i've created actually get used is 
really nice. I'll say that. That's definitely true. That's true. There were many days in college where you and I would just sit down and talk about fantasy worlds. There were quite a few. I tried to write a book and then that started dying. And I think we agreed that we would eventually try and write it together where I would do the world building and you would do the writing. Just emerging of our two strengths, your strength for world building and my strength for plot. There we go. Yep. <laughs> we'll see if that ever gets off the ground. <laughs> eventually. Keep the dream alive. Eventually. And I know that at the moment, you're kind of a forever DM. Yes. Yes, I am. And we are very grateful for it. You are welcome. But in terms of characters, who's your favorite character that you ever rolled and why are they your favorite? Oh, boy. God, I thought you were about to ask who's their favorite character in our campaign. I was like, that's it's a loaded, loaded question, question, Harper. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite and why is it me? <laughs> <laughs> favorite character I've ever rolled. Wow. Honestly, I'm kind of a sucker for that first character I rolled just because it was this giant ball of like innocence in terms of D&D. I mean, everybody's first character is always just kind of this wacky mix of like, ah, way too much freedom. Here we go. But I think it was just like the new experience of playing really got to me for that one. It was, I mean, obviously a ranger, very focused on archery. I don't really remember too much about how Pathfinder works, quite honestly. It's been so long. <laughs> Very similar to D&D 3.5, I think. Yeah, I think that's what I remember, which was why I ended up going into Pathfinder because they said, you know, close enough to what we've been playing, it should be fine. But yeah, I think that first Ranger, just because it was, I mean, living my Lord of the Rings fantasy of, hi, I'm an archer that mm -hmm. runs around the world. <laughs> what do my elven eyes see? Yeah, it was an elf. That's true. <laughs> can't argue with that one it was an elven archer who came from a forest realm so i mean there's no parallels there at all with lord of the rings not whatsoever <laughs> no nothing at all nope definitely didn't want to be anything like legless and also definitely didn't look anything like legless with the long blonde hair i think it was brown but otherwise it was pretty much just legless yeah <laughs> they just orlando bloom with normal colored hair yeah for all intents and purposes, that's pretty much what that character was. I was just excited. I was like, ah, I can now do archery. It's fake, but I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think that we should segue into the game that you currently are the dungeon master for, where Darby and I are players. We've talked about it in bits and pieces on the podcast, but I think the best place to start is just a brief summary of the story so far. Oh, boy. So don't ask me for that <laughs> <laughs> you mean don't ask the person who's been taking religious notes yeah i mean unless you want a 162 page summary it has to be specifically done so that you emphasize everything the way you emphasized it in the notes especially <laughs> the giant bolded size 142 font sections oh, yes. also the let's boogie yeet <laughs> <laughs> yeah all of that needs to be included as well <laughs> Stan, do you think maybe you could give us the like 300 word or less description of kind of what's happened in the campaign? Oh boy, 300 words or less without spoiling anything because, okay. Or, you know, you can go a little bit over, but a brief summation. 
So the kingdom everyone started in is called Soleil, and in the north of this kingdom, they frequently get raided by their northern neighbors. And so at the start of this campaign, these two groups run into each other over, you know, a abandoned cart that had been attacked. And that starts to lead them into this whole adventure of, you know, the cart was still very medical supplies to a city, and the city's been struck by a plague, and the plague was put there on purpose by some sort of demonic entity, which then led them to a different place where they were fighting this demonic entity who had kidnapped a noble and basically sent someone to impersonate them and so they had to get the noble back into a seat of power in order to find out more about you know what's going on with this demonic entity and i think that's kind of where we're at now is you're all trying to figure out what exactly is going on with the campaign but you know, a short summary is you figured out that there's some sort of larger force moving in this northern area and is trying to upset whatever balance has been had for the past couple decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for our listeners, do you want to explain what that force is and, you know, how many there are, like, where they Right, are, so the big like, bad guy's name is... <laughs> Tristan, A plus summary. Excellent. I feel like that's a good jumping off point for talking a little bit more about the characters that Darby and I play. Okay. Darby, why don't you talk a little bit about who your character is? My character is Verity Coriopsis. She's a halfling druid, a lotus den halfling, who's a circle of dreams druid. And I think I've said like scattered here and there. She grew up in a cult. So she knows absolutely nothing about the society of the world that she's in. She only knows about this really secluded and really messed up cult that she grew up in, that she spent her few years of life I guess she's like a young adult before eventually leaving with the aid of an archfey that she had happened to befriend over the years and sort of took off from there. She like escaped. Fern, her archfey friend, sort of taught her, this is how like (laughs) druidic magic works. Like, you know, feel it this way. And she was like, awesome. Can I explore the world now? And they were like, yeah, sure. Take this giant jackalope and go explore. (laughs) And that's about it. That's a good background summary without revealing too much, I think. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Darby and I have to walk the fine line during this recording of not revealing too much about our backstories to each other while also talking about how we created these characters. Not to mention to our other party members who may listen to this recording. (laughs) Oh, that's true. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe more will be revealed about our characters by the time this comes out. Or maybe they're dead. Who knows? (laughs) Honestly, who knows? Yeah, if Verity is dead, I will be... I don't know how to feel. If Verity is dead, I don't know what to do with this recording. (laughs) I mean, it'd be interesting. The first time she almost died, I was so funny just because I had just gotten a commission of her done. (laughs) And she went with two failed death saves. I'm like, I just got this commission. Is she about to die? <laughs> it's a really surefire way to make sure that your character dies is to order commission art of them. Apparently so, because didn't... Well, no, I think you ordered commission art after Ellie went down. Yes, but now there's a significant chance that Ellie might go down in the next coming session, and I just got this beautiful character art. Yep, there we go. Not to mention the holy symbol you ordered. 
I did order a holy symbol. It came in yesterday. Oh, but let's talk about your character, Herber. Let's talk about Ellie. Certainly. So Eleonora Nicolette Alive, or Ellie, as she is known to everyone except her mother, is the third child and second daughter of the House of Alive. Her father is the Duke of the Lanarin Duchy, which is the northernmost duchy in the Kingdom of Soleil. And... Ellie was raised as a proper young noblewoman, but a proper young noblewoman of the North, which Tristan mentioned that the North is constantly raided by the neighbors to the North of the kingdom. And so all citizens in the North are taught to bear arms, including the women. This is a fairly patriarchal society for the most part, but women in the North are trained to fight. And Ellie really took to her fighting skills much more than her noble lady skills skills, you could say. And she also, from a very young age, felt a strong pull toward the Church of Pelor. And so at the age where she normally would have been betrothed to a young lord or a young lord's son and, you know, become a proper young noblewoman, a countess, you know, following along in the line of nobility, she instead begged her father to let her abdicate her position in the royal line and instead join the church and her father allowed it and so she is now a priestess of the church of Pelor and she is a cleric and one of the interesting things we can kind of get into talking about the ways that we worked with Tristan to develop these backstories one of the fun things about this character and this world that you've built Tristan is that clerics are exceedingly rare this is true and without going too much into why they're so rare because you actually haven't even told me that yet that did make Ellie rather exceptional. And so when she did decide to leave home, that did mean that she was hunted by the church because she left without seeking permission to do so. No, 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 Harper. Not hunted, just very sorely missed and sought after. Sought after with companies from the standing army of the church yes yeah yes. and a reward for you mm-hmm. what was the bounty like 350 gold it was like 600 gold it was higher than the rest of you yes yes tristan can immediately forgot to mention that for a significant portion of our game so far there have been bounties placed on the heads of our characters <laughs> only in one of the counties <laughs> only in one of the many french named counties that are all misspelled in my notes. <laughs> yeah, have fun spelling any of those names. Or any of the names that are going to be coming up here. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I am definitely to blame for the French flavor because I named my character first and then you just kind of went with it. I mean, you said like, oh, is it okay if we have like a French, you know, homeland? And I was like, sure. I guess that's the theme of the North now is just French. <laughs> So, you know, we have Yoland and Lanarin and Clairelay and Gaetan and Orwa and Aule and, you know, any of the other names. And through Darby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've once spelled Alive correctly in my notes. That's hilarious to me because one of the reasons that I named her Alive is because it is a pun, which I thought you would love because she is a cleric. And I was like, her last name is just Alive with an S at the end to make it French. See, I, I've spelled it A-L-I-V-E-Y, I think, since day one. Yeah, that's not her name. Pretty sure I've always spelled it with two L's. <laughs> it is such an easy name. 
Oh, Ellie's an easy name. Ali Bay is not. Yes. Because there's an accent in there too, isn't there? There is an accent in there. There's an accent on the E. Yeah, I'm way too lazy to do the accent on the E every time. (laughs) But let's talk a little bit because Tristan, I am sure that Darby and I must be very fun to have as players because we are both role play heavy and very invested in writing detailed backstories. You both are very, very invested in your backstories, yes. So can you talk a little bit about what it's like to collaborate with a player on such a detailed backstory? I mean, if anything, it makes my job so much easier, to be quite honest. I love world building, but I mean, other people will have ideas that will never occur to me. And so it always, it's a really fun thing for me to have somebody come in and, I mean, as I did with both of you, I think, Harper, I left you know, the design of the church up to you for a decent portion of it, you know, for how the church is set out, what their fundamental, you know, stances on things are, what their tenants are, things like that. And then Mm -hmm. I know I left the design and creation of this cult for the most part up to Darby. It's nice for me to have players who are super invested in creating their backstory and, you know, super active about it because it allows me to kind of take a slight backseat there and focus on other parts of developing the world so that it's playable while the characters and players themselves can actually have a little more creative freedom with their backstories if that's what they enjoy and then i can step in and say like ah let me point you in a slightly different direction here or you know let me completely throw you on a 180 on this thing and just turn you around and have you start over with this bit Mm -hmm. yeah it's also nice that i ended up on the government watch list and not you also that yes (laughs) yeah the constant how to escape from cult mindset escaping cult growing up in cult leaving cult google searches didn't help my record with my fbi agent watching me through my webcam yeah if you weren't already on an fbi watch list from all the stuff that you got up to in college you definitely are now yeah (laughs) disclaimer i'm not actually on an fbi watch list but you know wouldn't be surprised i suppose from my google searches Yeah, I'm just happy to not have that in my Google search history. Yeah. Medieval torture instruments look really nasty. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They are very nasty. Yes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I mean, that's kind of what it's like to work with a very avid backstory roleplay focused person is in terms of developing the world and working with characters on their backstories. It's, I mean, for me, it's a really enjoyable process because I can just give someone a little bit of freedom and watch them go, which I understand is not how a lot of DMs work things. They like a little more control and like having a box to let players loose in as opposed to, you know, letting players build the sandcastle and seeing what it ends up looking like. Mm-hmm. And I will say that there are a couple of players at our table who, you know, are not like Darby and I and that they don't sit down on a weeknight and write 20 pages of backstory for their character. Uh-huh. So how do you balance having those players who are so backstory heavy and roleplay driven and those characters who are what you might say is more traditional D&D players where they show up with a character sheet and a vague idea of what their backstory is and they're like, I'm just here to play D&D. I think I got a little lucky with this group because, I mean, admittedly, it was a little pressure on my part of putting pressure on all the players, but everybody came up with, you know, a fairly good idea for a backstory. They didn't, you know, quite just show up with a character sheet and said, let's go. Everybody had at least an idea of what they wanted, even if it wasn't a fully fleshed out idea. So it gave me some pointers to start and some, you know, hooks to work in and try and grab them in a roleplay sense. But you are correct that there are a couple players who are not as roleplay focused. And, you know, that's fine. It's 
balancing what you give a party in terms of you know role play combat skill challenges that kind of thing it's always going to be kind of a little bit of a struggle like some weeks you're going to go way too heavy on the role play for instance i think two weeks ago now the entire session was just the party at a party and that's <laughs> that's all that happened that was it and one of the players wasn't even at the party so i mean they just kind of sat there and listened to the whole thing which i, I do feel a little guilty about but i mean that's just kind of how it goes sometimes and so you know the next week you try and balance it out a little more and i think we're about to roll into a session where i mean i'm sure it's not really spoilers for anyone in the party but it's going to be pretty combat heavy for almost a good portion of the session yeah we just murdered a bunch of closets Mm -hmm. yeah if i'm not terribly mistaken we just finished one boss fight and it seems as though we're heading into another boss fight i couldn't tell you harper i have (laughs) i have no knowledge of this can neither confirm nor deny Future Harper will know. Harper, by the time this comes out, will know. Yes. Yes, this is true. (laughs) I'm just reading the writing on the wall. It appears that we are walking into another boss fight. So Mm -hmm. that's fun. It's entirely feasible. Mm -hmm. But I I can't say one way or the other, Harper. I can neither confirm nor deny. So another thing about our table that's interesting is that our table does really like to lean heavily into the role play aspect for the most part. Mm -hmm. And I think that even the players who aren't necessarily that big into role play have started really opening up into it in the past couple of sessions. They're starting to. One player in particular has never really been an avid, you know, role play focused player. They like, you know, the mechanics of the game leading into the min-maxing side of things more than the roleplay. But thankfully, in this case, they are also completely okay with watching other people roleplay. I mean, they like the three of us here are also really into watching Critical Role, and I don't think you can be into watching Critical Role without also being okay with watching people roleplay and enjoying that experience. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, they're okay with just watching other roleplay happen, but they are starting to open up a little bit more, yeah. Yes, it was yeah. such a big moment when that finally happened was so good. It was amazing, especially because they play a character that I was like, I want to know more about you, please. I want to know. Can you show me? (laughs) (laughs) Copyright strike. Ah, no. Yeah, I think, I mean, in this case, it kind of adds to, I think, the roleplay for everyone else a little bit because, I mean, their lack of focus on it makes their character a little bit more mysterious than they would be otherwise and kind of adds to the feel of their character, I think, in a way that they actually want to have happen, which is nice. What is it like to be a DM at a table that is so roleplay focused? I mean, it's made me realize that I don't have a lot of accents I can do for shopkeepers, that's for sure. Thankfully, I am also a very roleplay focused type of person. Like, I very much enjoy, you know, all the combat things and, you know, trying to get the most out of your character sheet. I do enjoy that kind of thing, but I'm also very roleplay focused myself. So it's an enjoyable experience for me. I, I enjoy when you all spend a good portion of the session, you know, talking to each other or talking to an NPC, trying to figure out what's going on, you know, just learning more details about the world. I mean, once again, I am the biggest nerd world builder. Well, maybe not the biggest that I know, but certainly up there. And so just having players interact with the world and, you know, try to learn more about it or talk to the people who are out there is something that I will always really enjoy. I mean, thankfully, all the ducks lined up. Is that the saying? Ducks in a row. Get your all your ducks in a row. Yeah. So all the ducks, you know, lined up for this one and it just came to a decent party where, you know, all of the things that I enjoy doing tend to be the things that the party also enjoys doing. And mm-hmm. I, because I also enjoy running combat, so I'm still getting better at that as the players level up, offering them more <laughs> challenges that attempt to kill them in better and better ways. Soon though. Soon I can be a bird whenever I want. You think that will save you, Verity? It won't. 
I just want to be a bird. I wanted, there's so many like bird shenanigans I want to do that aren't like flying related, but I can't turn into something with a fly speed, so. <laughs> I think that makes me more concerned than if they were bird shenanigans that did involve flying. When I said I wanted to be a burrito, my first instinct was, oh, an owl is a burrito shaped, and then I can't turn into an owl to be a burrito, so uh, I turned into a large rot grub instead, <laughs> like, which was significantly less cute. Very <laughs> much less. Like, super not cute, super gross, and I would have much rather have been an owl. That would have been a hoot. Oh, boy. I was going to say, just note that, you know, when you get to, like, the level where you can turn into something with fly speed, that means dragons are probably going to be on the table, because that's around that level, too. But. It's, it's, it's level eight. It's next level. You can't throw it at us at level eight. I think it's less of a they can be on the table and more of a they will be on the table because Darby makes puns just all the time. Oh, hey, don't punish me for that. Don't punish the party. <laughs> yeah, don't punish the party for one player's indiscretions. Phantasmal Force, but it's a dragon and it only appears to Verity. Yes. Yeah, isn't that what Phantasmal Force does? You yeah. Only I see the illusion <laughs> Yeah, the illusion becomes real, basically, for the person it's cast on. And, you know, their mind smooths out all the details where it wouldn't make sense and mm-hmm. it can actually do harm to them. Mm-hmm. Verity starts flipping her lid and the party's just like, What's going on? What is happening now? Is it Verity being Verity? Nope, it's an ancient blue dragon. <laughs> Verity even know? Well, she probably know what a dragon is, right? I don't know. Do they tell fairy tales in your cult? They tell hell tales. That's fair. Actually, let's talk a little bit because we kind of scratched the surface in terms of who our characters are. But I do kind of want to dig into the nitty gritty of the inspiration behind our characters, like how we came up with them. And then Tristan, I kind of want your insights on how involved you were in like the influencing of the character. And also, I think you can talk about in the story so far, the influences (laughs) their backstories have had. Okay. So why don't we start with Verity? Yeah, I think my backstory's influence on the story so far has been minimum. (laughs) I think out of all the players, you and Thrarin have had the least influence on the story so far. Yeah, Yeah, in terms of like, at least our backstory. Yeah, in terms of the backstories coming out. Not to toot my own horn, but I did use Dispel Magic on that mirror. (laughs) What was the question again? (laughs) (laughs) This is why I take notes. The inspiration behind Verity and kind of how you went about creating her. Oh, yeah. The first iteration of Verity in my mind, and I remember thinking this, because I remember thinking I would take certain spells and like, oh, maybe I wanted to take the hermit background i think and i think i ended up doing that but modifying it a little bit Mm -hmm. because i didn't like having the proficiencies was just not something that fit in eventually but i was like oh what if she was just like a helpful person living in the forest who helped guide people who are lost and she's just super chipper and super helpful and she doesn't really understand society that much and she's lived on her own a lot and then that's where she started and then i was like but why does she live out by herself where is her family where are her friend and i think it was a trailer from a netflix show called unorthodox 
where it's about this woman who she escaped her religious community and she says this line to this woman where she's like you escaped didn't you and she's like you make it sound like I was in prison and she's like weren't you and she's like no so then why did you leave and she said because I felt like God expected too much of me and that sort of sparked like huh that's interesting Tristan what was your reaction when Darby came to you with this idea for a backstory I am very much loose with the rules of D&D in terms of structure and how to build a character and things like that. At some point during this campaign, I would like to work in, you know, like individual feats for like stuff the characters have done. So like custom made feats for them to try and, you know, make the characters a little more unique. Mm -hmm. I know you and I are working on a feat for Ellie to take when we level up again. Yes, we are. But because of that, I am very much in favor of players coming up with, you know, as unique as they can. If they're excited about it, I'm excited about it, is kind of the stance I take for that. So I try and encourage, you know, a little bit of the creativity there and, you know, try and get them to do something that interests them. So, I mean, when Darby came to me with this, I was, okay, this will make for a very interesting character that has a lot of stuff that as a DM I can just play with. Yeah, and I think the cult started off as like, it started off a lot milder than it ended up being. <laughs> yes, it did. I remember the conversation started with, Verity came from a cult that she escaped. And I was like, ah, oh, cool. This is going to be really interesting. Like, I'll let you, you know, how, however you want to do this cult because, I mean, you're doing the research for it. So you're going to know more about it than I will in the first place. Like, I'll let you come up with, you know, how the cult was structured and all that. And I remember as that conversation went on, it just slowly got darker and darker and darker until we're at where we are now. <laughs> Yeah, where they're like, hey, you know, to be part of the clergy, you have to cut off a part of your body because it represents like mortal connections to like worldly things and that's bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember like originally, like, I think like her goal, because like you had asked like, oh, what kind of goal would Verity have? And I was like, oh, maybe she wants to bring something back to like prove like, oh, this is like, a, like a legend that she had heard of like something related to her cult god and like bring it back to prove like maybe the world isn't as bad as we believe it to be or something. And then as I did more research on like cults and sort of the practices that sort of like drew my eye, I was like, that doesn't really makes sense because like I don't know if she's actually questioning her faith in that way or questioning the god that she worshipped for her entire life I don't know if she's questioning it in that way or if she's really what she's doing I think she's just sort of lost and trying to find a path in the world and that's sort of where it took off and yeah the cult got darker and darker and darker <laughs> yes it did I think I had to scale back some of the some of the stuff because it was a little too much <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I only told you to maybe take a little bit of a chill on one or two of the things as we were coming up with that. And also 100% fine scaling things back. And it's good to get that kind of feedback. <laughs> In the end, it is a collaborative game. And if some aspect of creepy cult is like too much, then it's not fun for everyone. And I'd rather it be fun for everyone than for me to be like on my angst pile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in terms of developing, you know, the cult, I think there were only a couple times where I told you, no, either Verity wouldn't know that or that's not something the cult would have a handle on just to leave little places for me to, you know, insert plot hooks later on. Yeah. And like, there are a lot of times where it's like, is this okay? Or like, what do you think? Because I think we like vaguely settled on a location for the cult, but I was like, that's all you. <laughs> yeah. And I specifically, I think, told you a vague location because Verity wouldn't know. 
know. Yeah, and Verity has no idea how long it's been since she left her cult. Also that, time in the Feywild is different. Yeah, she could have been, I guess at this point she's been gone several months, but the point that she emerged from the Feywilds, it could have been seconds or decades. And you know, at some point, I suppose we'll figure it out, and I'm really excited for when that happens. Could you actually talk a little bit more about the Feywild? Because the Feywild is one of those things that there's some hard rules written about it in the Dungeon Master's guide but it's one of those things that every dungeon master really puts their own flair on and i know stan that you had a lot of fun creating the feywild for our world and darby probably has the most knowledge bar you of how it works because of her backstory so i took what the dungeon master's guide said about the feywild and i threw it in a dumpster and i lit it on fire <laughs> basically what i've done is i've just straight up stolen the feywild from one of my favorite books which is the name of the wind i just completely stole the idea for the feywild from that just altered it to fit in a DD setting and you know work for this situation a lot of the rules for the feywilds in this case are a little more loosey-goosey than you know what a lot of dms and games would usually have but the feywild is more of a theme for what i have and less of a hard set of rules i think is what i would call it which i feel like fits for the feywild that i'm building in general because there are no hard rules it's the feywild it's wild it's chaotic for the most part yeah and i personally big fan of the feywild in every iteration i played it Longtime listeners of the podcast will know that I am not a fan of the Feywild. <laughs> the moment we figured out that our characters were in the Feywild, I like flipped my lid. Because <laughs> Stan, you had set this up in like such a like cheeky way, and I'm like kicking myself still to this day that I didn't figure it out sooner. That this character introduced themselves and like recognized Verity's mount, who's a dire jackalopes essentially i think yeah yeah and that you had written jackalopes are native to the feywilds native mm -hmm. to this one area in the feywilds and nowhere else in the world so like everyone else has been like what is that and she's like it's my jackalope this is aster she's very nice <laughs> <laughs> and this character was like oh it's been so long since i've seen a jackalope i'm like what <laughs> excuse me uh, and you know i'm from the feywilds what <laughs> Squeeze? There were a couple other hints in there too that I just kind of like threw in and I was waiting for you all to catch on to it. We put that character in a zone of truth and I just like thrown out like, oh, when was the last time you were in the Feywilds? And then they just like gave us like a smile and then didn't answer. I'm like, that's really weird. And then it wasn't until like I meditated and it was like, I want to feel like if I can get in contact with Fern and you're like, yeah, you're in the Feywilds. <laughs> 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 yeah that was a very fun sequence for me is watching <laughs> everyone sort of had this slow realization and then darby just going wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> hold on a second and so what was it like to figure out what bits and pieces about the Feywild that you were going to share with Darby? In this case, it was easy and hard. Verity was in the Feywild for an as-yet-undetermined period of time, as far as time works in the Feywild. So she would have traveled a little bit, but pretty much always in the company of this other creature that was looking after her. So it was fairly easy to restrict the places she would have been to a more set list and limit the knowledge she would have had for also the sake that she would have spent most of her time there 
they're you know learning about druidic type things and how that type of magic works which is also super uncommon as i've found out (laughs) yes it is yeah my character still doesn't understand how your character does magic at all we're two odd birds Yes, you are. I think I can very, you know, fairly say, and it's somewhat obvious that druids are a little more rare than clerics are. Oh, definitely they are, because clerics are recognized by society and druids are not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Verity's just like, ah! (laughs) (laughs) You want a flower? Yeah, running around making flowers out of thin air for people. Nobody thinks that's weird. Nobody will ever take notice of that. It's fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Definitely hasn't been noticed by several people. No, not at all. But yeah, so it was easy in the sense that like I had kind of a little bit of a guideline for where to start with that, but also somewhat difficult in the sense that there's a lot of Feywild. <laughs> and in theory, she could have visited any of it, but I think I really wanted to at least give her a sense of how some of it works and things that would be you know generic truths that are easily found out and easily learned, but not a deeper sense of how things actually work. I think that's translated very well. Also, given the fact I had not read Name of the Wind, so I don't know really anything beyond what Tristan has told me about the Feywild. I know that at the least one other player and I are like foaming at the mouth like, oh my god, we know exactly what's going on, but our characters know nothing, so we have to stay silent. Yep. As a small caveat to that, it's not actually Name of the Wind that has the Feywild in it. It's Name of the Wind's sequel, A Wise Man's Fear. That series. I have not read the series at all. Yeah, well, I would wait a little longer until the third book comes out because it's almost, I think it's approaching 10 years overdue at this point. Oh my gosh, give me an ending. Yeah, and apparently it's no closer to being out than it was five years ago, according to everything we've gotten from the author. That's not a point of frustration at all for anyone who loves that series. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Many of the aspects are stolen from that. Harper, the thing you say. So there's a quote that I often cite when talking about world building and character creation, which is good writers borrow from other writers and great writers steal from them outright. Well, I have completely stolen outright, but I'll I mean, leave it up to the players whether it's a good or great campaign so far. I'm enjoying myself. (laughs) Glad you are. I've turned into a bug Rito. (laughs) There's that player freedom. Let's talk a little bit about a related but different part of the world, which is the way that the kingdom works that we're currently in. Because you and I collaborated on that to an extent in that you basically gave me free reign to say you want to be a noble what kind of a noble are you yeah what kind of a noble you know where does your family hail from what is they famous for like what do they do as nobles that kind of thing Mm -hmm. pretty much all gave over to you so to what extent because i came up with a fairly detailed like i am absolute trash for medieval through renaissance era europe i just i live for it it's everything that i love in the world Mm -hmm. and i love the fantasy tropes that stem from it and so i'm pretty well versed in all of that so i gave you a fairly detailed background for a noble family you did what was it like to take that background for that one family that i gave you because i didn't really specify anything else about the actual kingdom and then build out an entire basically structure of government from there well fairly easy i would have to say but i mean that's also because i'm a massively giant nerd and i love fantasy tropes and medieval style works also Mm -hmm. way too much so i mean it wasn't something that I'm unfamiliar with. I'd done it a couple times before, not even
even for other campaigns, but just for fun in my head. So it wasn't too difficult, but it was less of a building out from what you gave me and more of a leaving a niche for, you know, what you came up with within the overall scheme of what I came up with for the kingdom, I think. Mm -hmm. Is, you know, a kingdom needs to have an economic pillar, a military pillar, a political pillar. You know, you need to figure those things out and you can work from there. Or at least that's one way I do it. And so it was just taking that and then setting aside the area where your family fit in and working on everything else and then trying to integrate them into it. And you definitely left enough open space in your development of your family for me to start to play with it in ways that you don't yet know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what you're doing with our backstories in the dark is yet to be seen and heavily anticipated. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've definitely started to play with my character's backstory quite a bit. You've been dropping a lot of hints, um, (laughs) which is very fun for me because, I mean, this is not my first time being at a table with you. You've been my dungeon master before. I've dungeon mastered for you before. Mm -hmm. So we're fairly intimate with each other's playing styles. And so I know that one of the greatest gifts that I can give to you as a player is a backstory that has lots of places for you to sink your little plot hooks in. Things that I can turn into knives to stab you with. Exactly. My noble family hasn't done anything wrong. Nope. Gave me a nice, happy, noble family to play with. Your family will definitely remain happy forever. Don't worry about it. (laughs) It's funny how similar our characters kind of are in sentiment, but also how opposite our backstories kind of are in terms of where they are in the world, how they interact with the world, and... I don't know, even their family lives. They're just like, it's deeply funny. (laughs) Both of your characters have a somewhat similar outlook on how people interact with each other. Which is very interesting because our characters do not interact with other people at all the same. No, not at all. Nor each other that much. Like, I mean, we interact, but I remember I remember us saying this before the campaign started. Our characters are going to be such good friends. (laughs) (laughs) and as it turns out our characters i think the only character whom i interact with less would be our sorcerer yeah Mm -hmm. and that's just because there's some deep personality issues in between the sorcerer and the cleric i would say is a nice way of putting it yes there are (laughs) it's interesting we're slowly getting closer but just like there's still like gaps I will say it's very interesting because this campaign definitely does feel epic in its scale. That's one of the very fun things about it is that being a player in this campaign, you can feel the way that the story is going to develop into something larger. But there's still that point of friction where our adventuring party is still quite new to working as a team. And I know that that's caused some trouble (laughs) in our game so far because our characters want very different things and have very different expectations also very different understandings of how the world actualizes itself Mm -hmm. not just between you and me but even between our rogue and our sorcerer and we're all extremely different worldviews and (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah everyone has a different outlook on the base human nature of everyone else around them (laughs) well that's because i'm not a human actually i was about to say or the non-human nature as the case may be 
what is it like trying to balance characters who I think that we've managed to, even in the players who maybe don't have like Darby and I do 30 plus pages of backstory written, every person still has a very distinct idea of who exactly their character is as a person. Mm -hmm. What is it like to DM for a group of generally just very strong-willed characters? A dysfunctional family. Uh, It's been troublesome at times. I I won't lie about that. Everyone has a very strong sense of, you know, as you were saying, who their character is and also how that character interacts with other people. So depending on the character, the NPC interactions they're going to have are very different. And it's occasionally been a bit difficult to try and tailor the NPCs to having a fun interaction with every character just because depending on the player and the character it's going to be a very different interaction with the same npc just because there's a difference of how the npcs are treated by each character so occasionally that's been somewhat difficult is you know shifting between npc interactions and trying to make it an enjoyable experience all around but slowly getting the hang of it you know the more used to the characters i get the easier it's going to be i just say that's kind of the general rule is the more experience you get with it the easier it's going to be and not just you know with dming in general but also you know with each different party you're playing with because everyone's going to be different and how everyone interacts is going to be different so it's going to take a lot of time to you know get to a point where you're comfortable with it Mm -hmm. no matter what party you're running with that's very true how is it meshing literally two opposite backstories We're like on opposite ends of the world with very opposing worldviews. In this particular case with your two characters, it's pretty fun. Just in the sense that both of you have very, very limited scopes of how you view society and how individuals function within it. Very limited and very specific. So, you know, one of the things that I talked with Harper about is Ellie has such a very specific view of how a good society functions and how good people are and like everything is going to be you know a certain way that it's just over the course of this campaign it's just going to be slowly breaking ellie of how she thinks people are and who she thinks people are and you know showing her that the world is a lot more gray than she thinks it is and i think in a similar vein it's kind of like that for verity too it's not in the same way but it's also just verity is more of out there to learn how the world works the similar way of like showing verity the world but it's less of a this is going to break your character and more of a your character is there to learn about it. I do remember that at one point in I believe it was July or August I called you quite late at night (laughs) and I remember just asking you to try your best to make this not necessarily a happy ending but an ending that my character could live with. Yeah, that that's definitely true. I as a person and how I, you know, play campaigns is much more of like a gritty kind of there's nothing that isn't untainted. Nothing exists that isn't in some way, you know, gray or dark. And I think just that in and of itself, having a complete world like that would probably have broken Ellie on more than just uh, breaking her out of her worldview and just as a person. Mm -hmm. So I had to tone that back a little bit. Yes. 
Because, I mean, we've played together before, so you know my play style a bit. And I think that by now you've gotten to know Darby's play style very well as well. How much do you cater the story that you're telling with us, like the picture that you're painting of the world to the players around the table? And how much are you like, this is the world that I have built and the story that I want to tell? We talked about developing backstory and the amount of free reign I give you with that. It's much more cut back in terms of the story I tell, I guess. Not in the sense that, you know, player choice doesn't exist there. You know, you all could finish up with what you're doing right now and then just wander off in a completely different direction than anything I have set up. And that's completely fine. I won't necessarily be prepared for it, but, you know, it's player choice. You are, you know, a character. You can make your own choices. You don't have to, you know, do what I've put in front of you. You can do the thing that's behind you or off to the side or, you know, over the mountain over there. So in terms of like the story I'm trying to tell, it's more of like how you interact with the world is I put down a lot of things on paper and then have them working while you are all doing stuff and try and have things happening that you are not seeing that eventually you run into Mm -hmm. or things that run into you, I guess, as well. So I try and do that. But in terms of tailoring it for the players, I mean, we haven't really gotten into it yet. We're starting to get into kind of like an Ellie backstory arc, but I'm also trying to include other people's backstories in it so that it's not just about one character. But I think my plan is, as it goes, we'll get into arcs where some people are more involved than others, and those sections will be a little bit more tailored towards them to give them a bit more of personal interaction with it. So Ellie will have, you know, more political stuff going on. We'll have, you know, more about the church she's a part of and that kind of thing. A lot more roleplay aspects. Whereas, you know, if we got into Vary's backstory, it would be, you know, about dealing with people and, you know, it would be dealing with the cult and it would be less political and more of like dealing with personal connections. I think is where I would end up probably putting that. You know, depending on the character, it's going to be tailored more toward them for, you know, whoever this story is getting more involved with, I think is how it's going to work. And there are some characters in the campaign that it will be much less focused on roleplay and more about like defeating the bad guy, you know, through martial means. You know, as we're going along, there's a lot of things moving that we're not seeing. How do you develop those things as we move along in the world? If this NPC, Gaetan, had died, would the world still have operated differently? How would it have shifted? There's all these things moving in the background. How do you move these things in the background while we're doing our thing and we're interacting with different chunks of the world? So a lot of what I base it on is there are certain high-level things going on, big umbrella kind of things that span a lot of different parts of you know the world or the story that will be happening pretty much no matter what until you run into them or until parts of them run into you and those things will just kind of be happening in the background but in terms of like the smaller details like you know what if Gaetan had died what would have happened there well I mean you probably wouldn't have ended up you know on the nub fighting this weird demon army thing that was getting done so something bad probably would have happened there that would have happened you might have had you know another chance to figure it out like like, for instance, you still don't know what's on the papers that you recovered that you you need to get translated and deciphered. So there's things like that where, you know, you might have information there that would lead you to there, but it could also just as easily lead you in a different direction where something else is happening that because Gaetan didn't die, you are now not really aware of. And you probably will be made aware of it eventually, 
but it's you're not aware of it and it might just seem like something that happened out there that you wouldn't have come across but maybe you would have if you'd taken a different path so in terms of the high level details the umbrella things like those things are going on there are certain aspects of there that are developing you know continuously no matter what else is happening but on a smaller scale it is based a lot around which path you decided to take like you didn't take this path so something is going to happen over here without your intervention in it i was just so curious because like you see like matthew mercer brandon lee mulligan on these shows like doing all these things where it's like you finally put all the pieces together and it's like oh my god this huge arc has been unfolding before our eyes i'm always just sitting here like brain empty burr like <laughs> <laughs> i managed to come up with a storyline that i thought was interesting and then the campaign stopped and i'm like I don't know if I can answer that super well, just in because I am the very like top-down world builder. I don't start with like the small details. I come up with like an idea, wide-ranging scope of something, and then I fill it in so that it makes sense. And then as I'm filling it in, I keep going back to that big idea and like tweaking it so it still makes sense with all the details that I'm coming up with. You know, as I go down, like each level might have something else that starts happening. Where as I'm building it, I come up with an idea for it, and then eventually I get down to the lowest level where it's just like, so here's an NPC named Gaetan. That's kind of where that process goes. So, I mean, Gaetan is involved in something larger, which is a part of something larger than that, which is a part of something larger than that, even if it's indirectly. Like, it ends up being a sort of domino effect with how I do things. You know, one thing causes something else, causes something else, causes something else. But for me, where I start with is I start with the big thing, you know, whatever the title of the paper is, and then everything goes from there. I'm excited to have our stuff kicked in. <laughs> We'll see if you survive the next session first. <laughs> I'll be real sad because I've finalized Verity's dice palette and oh boy, Stan is very intimately familiar and so will listeners of this show with how chaotic our characters can be. Stan knows what could be waiting in the wings. Yep. <laughs> That's not a threat. That's just, I will come up with something weird. Yeah. I mean, I will admit I am slightly scared of your backup characters. Hee <laughs> hee, sneaky sneaky. <laughs> Point in case. <laughs> We have shared with Stan some of the, because Darby and I can't stop making characters. It's just in our DNA at this point. We've shared the backup characters that we have created if our characters do ever die, just so Stan can keep them in mind. And they are both weird. <laughs> That's kind of the birth of chaotic creations, actually. Was us making weirder and weirder backup characters for this campaign. Yeah. Yeah, I will say there is another player in the campaign that has a fantastic backup character, and I don't think it's who you expect it is especially as the campaign has gone on it's just been so clear that we're blessed in terms of the table that we happen to play around it's a fairly good group even the players who are newer to dungeons and dragons are such fun people to play with and bring such different energies to the table and i mean listeners will know that my favorite part of dungeons and dragons is the collaborative storytelling aspect like don't get me wrong tristan is probably one of my favorite creative minds on the planet because i just love the way that their mind works but i think that a story only improves when you add authors to it yes and so to have all of us around the table with these building blocks that stan has created and then stan taking the building blocks that we've made with our characters and adding those to the world it's just makes for such a fun playing experience 
Yeah. We have such a good balance of people where we can have these like super like light and goofy moments. Like I'm thinking about yeeting my druid <laughs> like 75 <laughs> feet, which was such like a goofy moment. The Olympic shot put. Speaking on the cult being dark, they're like heavy on extreme asceticism, I think was the term for it. But basically just like not eating and not drinking. They're just like the bare minimum of food to survive. And so she weighs like about 30 pounds. Two and a half feet tall, which is way below average for a halfling, especially of her age. So she weighs, what, 10 pounds more than an Olympic shot put? So something like that. Yeah. yeah. So our barbarian just was like, throw me. He's like, okay. And raged and just whoop. Picked you up and threw you 75 feet into a river. And then that was like, what, two sessions away from having this one session where Harper and, and our other player were just like crying. And it was just like this deeply heavy moment that we thought was happening. And then Stan just, option three. <laughs> yep. Brought out the third option that none of you expected. Yeah, we were like, oh, there's two things that are going to happen here. Yeah, it was also liberally stolen from a video game that I enjoy. All of my best ideas are just stolen from other people. I'm telling you, that's the best form of writing right there, is just steal all the good plot points. Put your own spin on them. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to do. I think it's working okay so far. Well, I hope that all of us are good storytelling partners for you. You are. I'm very much enjoying it. I'm not being annoying by like turning into a bug <laughs> in the middle of a conversation. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was not super down with being a forever DM for a while, but like this party has really made it so that I'm actually very much enjoying this experience. I'm happy to do it for a long time. Oh, shut. To any DMs and players who are listening to this podcast, if your DM is not also having fun, you are not playing Dungeons and Dragons correctly. Everyone at the table needs to have fun, including the DM. Yes, very, very, very true. And I hope we at least give you some breaks with some interesting one shot harper and i have got an interesting one that we're gonna co-run i will say that i think that one shots are interesting because you can both be much more rigid in the structure than you can in a campaign because there's one adventure that's going on there's one goal that your players are working towards and also you can be much more loose because the canon of the world doesn't matter so much you can futz around with where things are and who people are and it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things here's three million platinum for completing this quest Thanks, this is useless. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to spend money when you're an outlaw, too. It's a thing that's currently happening in the campaign is, I mean, since everybody's wanted, they can't spend the several thousand gold y'all have, I think, right now. We have several thousand gold? What? Uh, the thing is that Ellie has it, which means that we're probably not going to be spending very much of it anyway. Oh, well, that doesn't matter. I mean, we already choose on coins because that's how she thinks money works. <laughs> Our rogue chewed on a coin once to find out if it was fake or not, and now my druid's just like, oh, so that's just how transactions work. You have to chew on them. The fact that the person that Verity gravitated toward the most was the party rogue is the funniest dynamic in the entire campaign to me. Highly amusing. Because Verity is very much like lying is bad and you're going to go to hell, which is sort of weird to balance. But then, you know, the rogue is trying to teach her how to lie. And so I really enjoy the moments where party rogue and I get to like role play out learning how to lie. That was pretty funny. Yes. 
I think one of my favorite things about this campaign has been several of us discussed our characters beforehand with each other because we were so excited to start playing. And so we had discussed who these characters were. And so we thought we knew who, how they would interact. And those assumptions that we made just have not played out at all. That's not what ended up being what happened. The ones of us that came in with like, oh, these characters like knew each other beforehand. Those bonds are pretty steady. But I thought after that, it'd be like, oh, Verity and Ellie are going to be really good friends. And then like Verity and like our barbarian maybe and then then maybe the rogue but then it's like nope rogue <laughs> mm-hmm. yep another player and i decided that we would create characters who are in function in the party relationship are sisters they're not actually sisters which is a whole backstory thing but in function they're sisters and so we, we already had that dynamic going and so i wasn't sure who i was going to be closest with in the party besides my sister but i had a feeling going in that it would probably be darby's character it turns out that no the character that ellie has become closest with has been the barbarian which is highly amusing to me knowing the barbarian's whole story and your whole story yes i'm sure you're just like sitting back and just like giggling as you're watching all these things happen there are moments where i actually do that yes (laughs) it's just so funny watching because especially harper harper is very much like a mom in our like friend group just like not doing that (laughs) in this party i think my druid said something extremely sad and our rogue was just like i don't know what to do about this yeah, it was a very fun moment because the rogue character, who's my sister character, kind of looked at me behind your head and was like, do something about this. And my character was like, what do you want me to do about it? I don't know what to do about it. And then you ended up talking to Verity. And Verity's like, I don't know if there's anything beyond this life. If I've been abandoned by my god or was god real to begin with? And my character was just like, um... I don't know how to answer that one. (laughs) Especially as my character being like, I have a very established idea of what it is that happens after death and it doesn't at all jive with what you're saying. So, um, yeah. Ah, that cult upbringing though. I'm starting some fires right now, like in the background. We'll see what takes. Yeah, there's going to be some fun things with that. I have to say, sending, it's not the spell I expected to be used the most by our party. I really wasn't for me either, but that has been one of the primary ways you interact with NPCs, honestly. Not necessarily the most common one. I mean, you still talk to people more often, but like a lot of important things have gone on with sending. A lot of important things. I think that that part of that lends itself to the fact that Darby's character has a sending stone, so she can cast sending once a day. But my character can cast sending three times a day now, plus actually, because we have higher level spell slots. And also my character has numerous NPCs that she is tied to. Like I gave you a lot of NPC names, but we haven't really met those characters in game yet. Where I was like, this is someone who my character is really close to. This is my character's brother. This is my character's father. This is my, like all of these NPCs my character is connected to. And like, if I have extra spell slots, I'll burn them on sending a message to like get more information or like update my family on where I am. Yes, you end up with a lot of connections. It's very fun. I really want to be able to use sending. Unfortunately, it does not appear that I will ever learn sending. Become a wizard. I don't want to be a wizard! Hagrid, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this stick! <laughs> Darby, where is it that you see Verity going in the long run? 
I mean, I'm sort of torn because it sort of depends. And I think I've said this to Stan. I've expressed interest in taking levels in Warlock and going Pact of the Archfey just because she has this really, what I think is a very strong relationship with this Archfey who she spent five to ten years talking to through a patch of dirt by growing flowers at each other. That's like how they talk. And like, I love the flavor of Warlock and I think it'd be kind of cute as well as utility wise. There's like a lot of things I'd be able to get access to. I know I'm like very much like a flavor person, but also there's like a small part of me that's like utility, utility, utility. And I'd love for her to take Pact of the Archfey, but I'm also like, there needs to be a reason why she would take Pact of the Archfey. And I'm slightly terrified of what reason Stan is going to give me that would make Verity want to take Pact of the Archfey, or even aware that that is a thing, given her cult's background and relationship with Warlock Packs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some fun things I can do there, that's for sure. Whereas for Ellie's future, I mean, you kind of talking a little bit about what has happened more recently in detail is that the church had a company of the military out looking for Ellie and Ellie ended up deciding that it was better to turn herself in so that the other members of her party would not be caught up in this anymore, that they would be free to pursue their goals, including the entire reason that she left home, which was to help her sister character like find her father who's been missing for 15 years because of the church it's a very complex relationship and i envisioned that it would either be my character is taken prisoner and she leaves the campaign and i have to roll up a new character or it would be a trial sequence that my character would go through to clear her name and instead i don't even really understand what's going on with a vision and maybe a prophecy there's something there with my character my character basically got off scot-free and i thought that my character was going to follow one of the three paths that we laid out in the church that was more of a wandering minister type character but you made it possible for me to do what I said my character's goal was, which was to become a holy warrior, almost akin to a paladin, but not quite that paladin path. So what I thought my character's future is going to be has definitely been thrown for a loop in the past couple of sessions. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is true. Stan is just leaning back and like wiggling their fingers together. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. And there's there's a lot I can't say about that yet. Of course, just to what extent do you take into account like the thoughts that the players have about their characters' futures when you think about what might happen in the campaign? I think taking into account less about what the characters are thinking, well, what the players think the characters are thinking, and more of what the players enjoy and what they want. So for you, Harper, I know like the church is very important to your character, and that's something that you wanted to maintain and have a good relationship with as a player i mean you're enjoying it so that's something i wanted to keep in there and i had you know the option of basically like throwing you down a different path than the one you originally thought you were going to end up with or i could do something that allowed you to strengthen the path you originally thought your character was going to take and so far it looks like i've opted for strengthening the support for that path just because i know that was something that you were interested in as a player is you know going down that kind of path and not 
not necessarily, you know, like, this is all that Ellie's doing, because, I mean, there's more elements to this than just, like, she's being allowed to continue down this path of a warrior. I mean, it's, she's being allowed to continue down this path of a warrior, but with the caveat that she now knows her church isn't, like, this pillar of goodness in the world. Like, it's definitely something's wrong within it. Something's corrupted. I try and support what the players generally want to do in a direction, but also throw a twist on it in the sense that, like, here's something that you weren't expecting that will add a bit of a challenge to it or you know tweak the way that you go about doing it yeah i'm honestly still shocked by the way that you managed to thread that needle with my character i'm very excited for how you're gonna do it with some of the other characters mm-hmm. there are i think th- ooh, there's a couple different things that i'm excited to see how it works out that are almost certainly not going to work out how i expect them to but <laughs> i'm excited to see that happen as well would it be D if everything worked out the way you expected it to not at all if every week some part of my plan just either doesn't get looked at or i have to pull up notes from like four weeks ago then something's wrong <laughs> if that doesn't happen or look through my notes. Or look through your <laughs> notes, because you take much better notes than I do. It's hard to take notes when you're the one talking. There are gaps in my notes, and it is always when I've been speaking, or when I've had to, like, do something. Like, otherwise, I think my notes are pretty... I'm fairly comprehensive if I'm going to teach my yeah, own Yeah, you've horn. gotten it down to the point where you have, like, the beats of the conversation, not just the general topic. Yeah, and I get combat, and I'm, like, taking notes on how much damage we're taking, and how much damage we're doing, and... What the roles are for saving throws. Yeah, mm-hmm. you take very, very detailed <laughs> notes. It is hilarious to me that the one time that Darby ever breaks role-playing is when she goes into strategist mode. Uh, I I just love strategy games and like it's so like if Verity dies I'm not making another stupid character like not that Verity is dumb just stupid to the world and unknown to the world like because I like <laughs> I can't do this again. I know I knew that I was like I love strategizing and I love being a part of those conversations so I have to create a character who has a reason to take part in those conversations I just have to mute my mic <laughs> at that point like I think I just need to mute my mic I can't do it yeah uh, you do have a hard time staying out of those conversations. <laughs> it's so hard. It is hard because Darby is definitely one of the more gifted strategists at the table. The problem is Verity is not. <laughs> yeah. I think the strategy we had when we're like, let's go burn the bridge or intercept the messenger. I'm like, let's do three things. And like, it like worked out. The first time that really came through after that session, I was talking with another one of the players and we just both went, that wasn't Verity. That was Darby. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm going to mute my mic now. I think it's hard for even message me. This is Darby talking. I'm like, "Mm, I need to shut me trap. All right. Well, I think that we have definitely talked for a lot longer than I thought we would, but that's always the way when we sit down to talk about D&D. It's usually how it works, yes. <laughs> so, Tristan, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast and give our listeners just a taste of what Darby and I are like as players to deal with. Happy to have shown them a little bit behind the curtain. I'm still as chaotic as ever. <laughs> yes, and hopefully give just a little bit of one perspective on how to DM for a table of like the kinds of characters that we are making on this show, the characters that have intricate backstories and that are very flavor-based and story-based, and how to make those work at a table. Just reiterate that thankfully I got lucky with this party i mean everyone's fairly happy with role play and so am i so mm-hmm. oh shucks 
That's all for this week. Be sure to join us next week for another Chaotic Creation. Chaotic Creations is created, produced, and hosted by Harper Hayes and Darby Pack. Editing is by Harper Hayes, and web design is by Darby Pack. The art is by Kiku Hughes. You can find on Twitter at Kiku Hughes, and the music is by Kevin McLeod. Transcriptions are by AJ Ray. Find him on Twitter at Usha underscore kid. If you like what we do, please support us on patreon.com slash chaoticpod for awesome perks, including bonus content and exclusive access. If you want to chat with us on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at chaoticpod. You can also join our Discord server by going to our website, chaoticpod.com, or via our link tree in our Twitter bio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. It helps new listeners to find us. And tell your favorite nerdy friend about us. It's the best way to help us grow. Thanks for listening.